0: Welcome back to another episode of Into the Airbnb, where we talk with Airbnb hosts about their short-term rental experience. Today's guest is Jessica Garza from San Antonio, Texas, who is an Airbnb host since 2017. Currently managing four listings in San Antonio doing both rental arbitrage and co-hosting, achieving 100% occupancy rate in the highest seasons. This episode is sponsored by Airbnbs, the only one analytics dashboard for short-term rental investors and managers, where you can find precise Airbnb data such as occupancy rate, revenue, average daily rate, and so on. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, so our first question for today is, um, why did you decide to get started on Airbnb?
1: Um, So I got started back in 2017. And I was going through a rough patch uh, with my health. I lost my job. And I cashed out my 401k to be able to get by while I was looking for another job. Um, Mm -hmm. But my friend told me about her going on Vacation and staying in an Airbnb, and she was telling me about her experience. And I, I, at the time, I didn't know about Airbnb, so I asked her, "What is that?" And <laughs> she explained it to me and told me, you know, how it it goes, how the system works. So, just out of curiosity, I downloaded the app, I checked it out for myself, I uh, used it myself as well for like a weekend getaway just to kind of experience what it really was. And Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, like, I could do this for supplemental income and to help me get by until I find another job. And so that's what I did. I actually started out just renting out my master bedroom and Mm -hmm. in my personal home. So I did like a shared space. And I, I learned a lot from that. It was, you know, getting to know the ropes, getting to know what people like and don't like. And, you know, I I realized that renting out just the master was bringing in pretty good money. And but also then I thought, well, I if I could get my rent paid for the full month, that would be more beneficial to me. So I started renting it out. Um, weekends only Friday through Sunday and I would leave for the weekend <laughs> and I was making enough to pay my rent, my utilities, and I still got to live there, you know, Sunday through Friday morning and which was great for me because I also had uh, two daughters that lived with me. And so on the weekends, we would stay with my mom or my sister. (laughs) And to them, it was fun. It was like we got to get away for the weekend. Um, And it it did get me by. It got me by. And then I enjoyed it. I started meeting a lot of new people. And I became friends with some of the people that stayed at my place that relocated here to San Antonio. So um, I continue to do it from there.
0: Wow, that's a great and inspirational story. And um, what did you learn from your experience of renting your own space?
1: Um, Mostly <laughs> people's quirks and uh, I guess I would say, definitely people's expectations have changed now. When mm-hmm. when I first started, the expectations weren't very high, I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the audience has changed. Airbnb is so much bigger now. Um, but with time, I've learned how to not only set expectations, but meet them. Um, and And I really learned to put myself in people's shoes, Because as a traveler myself, I I started to learn like, oh, you know, this would be nice to do or this is not so great to do. And by experience, you, you learn those things, not only from hosting, but also from traveling yourself.
0: That's right. That's right. And how did you get your first listing, like the first whole listing you managed on your own?
1: Um, It was through rental arbitrage, and it was actually with my uh, current home, the home that I started renting out my master bedroom in. I moved from just the master to the entire place only on the weekends. And once I saw how busy and profitable it was, I found myself another place to live, and I just rented out the whole thing full time and from there i just continued to accumulate properties and when COVID hit i did close a few i closed three and i kept one wow. um i thought I, I was gonna hit financial ruin but in reality i only had one month which was the first month of the initial lockdown where the place was empty and I came out of pocket. But after that, it it got really busy again. And it was from people relocating here, Um, people that needed to quarantine and they needed their own space away from their family that they lived with. Um, it, it, It got busy real quick after that. So I started to just build up again, the properties that I had let go before.
0: I understand. Um, since you told me previously that you manage four um, listings and some of them are rental arbitrage, do you mm-hmm. think in your area, San Antonio, is it easy to get um, lenders to agree to do rental arbitrage, or do you have some kind of secret for that? How do you convince them?
1: There's a lot of pushback now. <laughs> Back in when I started, there wasn't so much pushback, but now with Airbnb getting bigger and there's just so much more competition in it as well, um, the city themselves have gotten a lot more stricter about where you can Airbnb. HOAs sometimes don't allow it. it. It definitely has gotten a lot more difficult the past
0: two years. Mm-hmm. To,
1: to convince a landlord to let you do this. And then once you convince the landlord, you're, you're having to deal with the city or the HOA or the actual management property. So um, in reality, all you gotta do and hope is hope for the best. When you present the fact that what the positives are, And those positives are usually the fact that the property, it's constantly being maintained. It's constantly being cleaned. It's being supervised. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rent is never late because I do usually show funds that I have uh, savings, which I accumulated uh, throughout the years to be able to show that we can financially back the lease and so some landlords feel like, oh, you know, all of these things are really good. And I think I'd rather uh, go with this in a traditional renter. And then there's other landlords that are just absolutely not. <laughs> they won't even hear of it. And so for sure, it just depends on the landlord themselves.
0: So let me ask you about the area you're hosting in. You told me all your four listings are currently located in San Antonio, Texas, right? Yes. What is seasonality like in the area you're hosting? I would say the
1: busiest is once the weather warms up. And it's usually around this time. It's March through August. So March, like spring break, which we're in right now, is kind of what kicks it off for the year and we are consistently booked solid all the way through August until school starts. Um, The slower months are after that. Once kids go back to school and um, people are back to their normal routines, then that's usually when I do see a little bit of a slowdown. Um, And that goes through August, from August through February. Uh, but in, in all reality, it doesn't slow down an awful lot. It's just not as busy. Um, there's not as many inquiries. But what I have noticed is in my properties in particular is during these times of the slow season is when I get the longer term guests. So like 30 plus days. Um, I have a few properties that are close to the medical center, and so we do get a lot of uh, uh, contract workers for the hospitals, like nurses, doctors, and stuff like that.
0: Okay, so um, in this high season versus low season uh, times, how is uh, your average occupancy rate like?
1: Um like I said, I I even though it slows down a little bit, I really don't have my properties vacant. <laughs> um mm-hmm. most of the time they're booked. And so I would say in the high season for sure, it's a hundred percent. I we might have like one or two days here and there in between. And sometimes we even book it, like we block it. I mean, uh from from it being booked so that we can do a deep cleaning if after a long-term stay 30 days Mm -hmm. and plus I block a day or two after for cleaning uh, just because the turnaround within four hours is not gonna do it after someone's been there for 30 days.
0: Mm -hmm. And what about the low seasons? How is your occupancy rate like this, this time?
1: Um, the low season, like I said, we usually book it with long-term stays. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll see like a week or a week and a half in between. I I believe about a week and a half is the longest I've had any of the properties vacant and not booked in the low season. Wow.
0: Okay, I understand. So um, in general, like throughout the year? What would be your pricing strategy?
1: Pricing strategy. Well, I know there's a lot of programs out there that figure out pricing for you. I think there's pricing dynamics, uh, price labs. I've heard of so many. But in reality, um, I like to just look at the competition and see what's around me, uh, see what they're running for, see if they're. Booked. And if they are and they're getting something that is higher than what I'm getting, then I'll match that price. And if for any reason it affects my bookings, or like let's say in the slow season when I have that week and a half or two weeks that's empty, I I will lower it during that time. But I manually lower prices. When it gets close to a time in my calendar that's not booked, I do not Mm -hmm. um, do instant pricing through Airbnb uh, just because Mm -hmm. I will see it go really high and then it goes really low and it's not consistent and it kind of um, throws off my numbers as well. Uh, Because I do take into consideration overhead, which is, you know, we got to pay rent, utilities, uh, upkeep, replacing things that are damaged. And, And then on top of that, you still want a little bit of profit. And with San Antonio growing as much as it has grown in the past two years, rents have gone up a lot. So that's another thing that... Um, is making the rental arbitrage a little harder is uh, Mm -hmm. the fact that it doesn't leave as much margin for you to make profit. And so you gotta be real careful with the property that you accept to take on and see ahead of time if the pricing checks out, you know?
0: Yeah, I understand. So if this is not too personal, um, like watching your competition and how much do they make, do you think your pricing strategy has brought you a good amount of profit comparing to them? Um, I think so. I've never
1: been in a negative. I have been able to build enough um, of a, like a safety net as well. Like I said, I show proof of funds to the landlords as well to show Mm -hmm. that I can financially back up an entire year lease. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the reason I do that is probably because I'm used to doing that. Um, I'm also a real estate agent. So when we price Mm -hmm. listings, when we price homes for sale, that's what we do. We do a CMA, which is you're evaluating the market at the time that you're putting the house up for sale. So you're looking within your neighborhood, homes around you, what did they sell for? And you compare it according to square footage. So I pretty much do the same thing with the rentals. And I think when people are looking to book a place online, they're doing the same thing. They're looking to see probably what's the cheapest for the nicest. So Mm -hmm. they're looking for a nice place to stay. Definitely got to have some nice pictures to attract them in. But also overall, price is what's going to sell. Price is what's going to get you the bookings. And if you're more expensive than anything else on the app, uh, you probably won't get as many bookings.
0: That's right. That's really good to know. And I'd like to know based on your experience running Airbnb, what has been in the past um, years, your top challenges you have encountered while, while being a host? Um, biggest challenges with guests as a host? With guests while doing rental arbitrage, whatever you find the most hardest to Um go through. Um,
1: I actually find real estate a lot more difficult and stressful than uh Airbnb, but so Mm -hmm. when I'm dealing with Airbnb problems, it's to me it's like it's a big problem, but it's no big deal. Um I would have to say would be difficult guests. Um people that break the rules. Uh, recently I had a person stay for three months and they removed all the smoke detectors in the apartment to be able to smoke inside. Uh, they didn't bother putting them back on. And Mm -hmm. so also they damaged a few things in the property and, uh, they, oh, they also opened up all the windows (laughs) and left the AC running like at a very low temperature. So the electricity bill was through the roof. Like I had never paid such a high electricity bill for that specific property. So Mm -hmm. I would have to say it would be inconsiderate guess that, you know, um, it almost seems like on purpose, (laughs) they break all the rules because it's clearly laid out in in the check-in instructions, Um, In the listing itself, I try and reiterate the information as many times as possible so that later on, they say I didn't know. Um, And that's what I try and avoid. I want to make sure they have all the information up front. And for the most part, I've had really good guests. Um, I've been lucky. But, you know, you you get your troublesome guests every once in a while.
0: That's good. good to hear your experience because you know many um, future Airbnb hosts are very discouraged to get started on Airbnb because of these um, stories of nightmare guests. They think that's going to happen to them on a regular basis or that is going to ruin their business, so it'll be great if you can give us some tips. Uh, you can share with us some tips for other Airbnb hosts or future Airbnb hosts who like to get started.
1: Yeah, I can understand that, that my biggest fear has always been and still is um, squatters. (laughs) I have not had a squatter situation, but yeah, I mean, it's very possible. And to me, that's my biggest fear. But Definitely. I think the biggest tip is that you learn from every guest that you change things and improve as you go. So like with the, the guests that I just told you about, um, after that, I decided to put an electricity cap on any stay over 30 days. I give them an amount that if their electricity use goes over that amount, they're responsible for the difference. And so Mm -hmm. that's probably the best advice I could give to anyone is that you're constantly learning from your own experiences. And so you're constantly having to adjust your business. And I would also say, do not get overly involved emotionally. It's a business and it should be treated as a business. I've seen a lot of talk on social media groups where people treat the properties, um, I guess like their own personal home. And for your own personal home, it might be different. If you're doing room share, that's very different because you, your personal self is there. You're sharing space with someone you don't know. Right. Um, But if you're not sharing the space, it's a business. And you really have to separate yourself from that and just treat it as a business and not get overly involved with every move the guest is making. (laughs) I like to give guests their privacy and their space. And if they're breaking rules, then I just charge them accordingly. and, And that's that.
0: Those are great tips. Um, So last thing I would like to ask you for is we talked previously about um, rental arbitrage and some tips about it. Now I would like you to give us some tips regarding longer stays. Um, For some hosts, it might be easier for them to do longer stays for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're scared of it or maybe they think it's not going to work in their place, but in case they get it going. Are there some tips you would like to share for them? Yeah, actually
1: longer stays are my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, so longer stays are my favorite.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, There's just the less turnaround, the less cleaning. I have heard of hosts that offer cleaning while there's people within a long-term stay. And it seems like they do it mostly to be able to check on the property, which Mm -hmm. sounds like a good idea. But like I said, I like to give people their privacy. So I will offer them um, the option to have someone go in within two weeks to clean. But if they don't take me up on it, I don't push it. And so, like I said, uh, with long term stays, there's special rules. Uh, I got the electricity cap in place now. Um, Also, I'll have them sign a short-term lease for anything over uh, 28 days. I take Mm -hmm. a deposit from them as well because (laughs) I have had people leave and refuse to pay damages or the electricity cap. And um, I've actually had Airbnb decline it as well. So um, it's easier to just keep it from a deposit and show proof of why you kept it and move on. Um, I would say that most people looking for a long-term stay place, they want a place that's fully furnished with everything they're going to need, especially in the kitchen, cooking. A lot of people that are staying there for a long time that's not just vacation, they need to live in it. I mean, they're going to cook. So you need to have everything that they're going to need for that. Also, uh, dressers in the bedrooms. Mm -hmm. A lot of, I've noticed a lot of Airbnbs don't have dressers. Mm -hmm. And for like a weekend getaway or something like that, that works. But when you have a long term stay, they need a place to put all their clothes and have a routine in place. That's right. Um and I think that's, I mean, I think that's all I would say about that is, you know, um making sure that you have separate roles for the long term stays because A lot of that won't apply to people that are just there for the weekend or three days. That's Um, right. Yeah. So, but definitely because there's less turnaround uh, and there's less, usually there's less traffic in and out of your property Mm -hmm. Uh, with the long-term stays, it's usually working professionals. So you don't have an entire family coming in and out of your place
0: a lot.
1: So um, that's probably like another pro for a
0: long-term stay. Right. Those are really good tips. Actually, there's one more little question I would like to make. I've seen uh, many hosts struggle with um, when they have troubles with guests, for example, they don't know if it's easier to solve it with the guest or um, also call Airbnb, tell Airbnb about the problem in case it is something really um, serious. Would Mm -hmm. you say it's easier to deal with the guest or is better to involve Airbnb? I think it depends on the guest.
1: (laughs) Um, Some guests, they seem like sensible, understanding people. And mm-hmm. so you can message them directly. And I would definitely keep all messaging on through the app because they'll try and text you and prom- make you promises and tell you, oh yes, this, I'm willing to pay this fee or that fee. And then when you try and charge them through the resolution center, uh, they just don't pay. And then there's no record of them promising to pay when it comes to you involving Airbnb Mm -hmm. and their Resolution Center representatives. So definitely I would say it depends on the guests. Most of the time I reach out to the guests first and I see if they're reasonable, if they're even gonna respond. Some of them won't even respond to you, Um, but if they seem reasonable and they respond, and it's on the app with the messaging so that if you need to involve Airbnb, it's all there. Then I keep it at just that. But if we're not getting anywhere on the agreement of what the issues are, or that they're gonna pay the fee, then I involve Airbnb right away, for sure. I I use Airbnb customer service Mm -hmm. a lot.
0: Okay, that's great advice. So that'd be it for today. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to Into the Airbnb. We're looking for hosts and other people in the short-term rental industry to interview. If you have what we need and would like to share your experience in this podcast, please send us an email. All the info is at the end of the description.